It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah Health. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome into the Saturday Show, everybody. Hope you all are doing well on this Saturday morning up and down the Wasatch Front and beyond. Tuning in on the KSL Sports Zone and the KSL Sports app. That's the best part. Jay Catch here. Michelle Bodkin there. Michelle, what's up? Not much. I... I'm a little fu- I'm feeling a little fuzzy. It was a bit of a late night for me last <laughs> night. Sure. Uh and kind of cold, shockingly cold actually. That wind was no joke up at Those darn thunderstorms keep messing everything up, I don't they? I know, I know. Like can we just not have some like nice softball weather without like the extra? Be nice. There's no doubt about that. Uh, of course, Michelle was up uh, covering Utah softball in the Super Regional. They're mm-hmm. Second time hosting it, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? First time. The first time hosting it. They've played mm-hmm. in it before, though. Yes. Okay, so got it. Okay. First time hosting it. Uh, but they did fall 4-3, so they're, mm-hmm. now they're in a hole. They have to win today. It's at 3 o'clock, right? Yes. Okay. So, of course, you'll probably be up there covering that again, I'm assuming. I will, and I'm hoping no thunderstorms. <laughs> well, <laughs> this week has been like afternoon. All of a sudden, thunderheads are like popping up everywhere. I know, so crazy. I know, oh, crazy well. we stuff. Need, we, need the, we need the precipitation, though, no, so yeah, not too mad. No doubt. Uh, thanks again for filling in, filling in last week. It sounded like, by all accounts, the, the uh, cook-off event went very, very well. So Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I hope we keep doing that i hope we keep thinking of other things like that to do it's nice to just kind of be out and about and Mm -hmm. say hi to people and i love being outside and i mean who doesn't like sampling (laughs) anybody else's cooking if you don't have to cook it it's great right like (laughs) no no doubt about that so uh fun stuff there i got a lot to cover ahead on today's show we are going to be joined by brian howell from the boulder daily camera and also buff zone uh covers the colorado buffaloes he had a one-on-one with Rick George, the Colorado AD, and there was one particular part of it that generated headlines yesterday heading into the weekend. Uh, I call it a non-committal commitment to the to the Pac-12. <laughs> that's, pro- that's probably essentially where everyone's kind of sort of at. Sure. And so we'll hear from him at 1030. Uh, we also got technical fouls to come. We got plenty to talk about in the NBA playoffs front, RSL, college football as well. So there's plenty to have fun with. Uh, but of course, as we usually do on today's show, let's start off with everybody's highlight of the week. Michelle, will you start us off? Yeah, I think my highlight of this past week uh, was getting my podcast up and going again. I saw um, that. Yeah. Crimson Corner is back rolling. It's back rolling. We're we're doing stories that matter. And and the first one, I mean, it's a great one. <laughs> I I've told David Kozowski's story before. Mm-hmm. Um obviously his situation has grown and advanced over over the years uh since I last talked to him, so it was great to catch up with him, find out what exactly he's up to. He's doing a lot of work with uh Kenneth Scott and Robert Johnson. Uh, in promoting better social health mm-hmm. uh, across the Salt Lake Valley with assemblies and, and some of that kind of stuff. So it's really cool and important work that they're doing. Sure. Um, and I just, I love that three of my friends actually <laughs> are, oh. are teaming up okay. and, and, and doing something that's important and matters. And uh, you'll be here, we'll be dropping another episode next week. It's another story I've actually previously done okay. that... Uh, 
has some advancements. And, ah, okay. and uh, this is going to end up actually being kind of a KSL exclusive. So right. I'm really, really excited about this. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. It's always that's always good to have stuff like that going on. So that'll be fun to hear from hear, hear more on that front from you with Crimson Corner up and rolling. Uh, is it? I guess let me ask this question. How often are you planning on Crimson Corner? Is it a weekly thing? Like, what's the plan for it moving forward? Uh, I think weekly. Okay. I think weekly with some of those bigger stories and sure. stuff that meteor, meteor feature type stories. Yeah. Um, it just might be a little bit hard to try and do that more okay. than once a week. But, yeah, so weekly. Very cool. All right, Corey. Uh, of course, Corey producing for us this morning. Corey, what was the highlight of your week, sir? Uh, I'm going to go all the way back to Sunday. And I know, can you hear me? For some reason, we're having our time here. I think you're on, though, so go, keep going. I am on. Yeah. We've had some board issues. Yes, <laughs> I know. So, I got uh, I got you. Mine goes all the way back to Sunday, which okay. I consider the first day of the week. And Michael Block, the PGA Tour pro, mm-hmm. that not only did he stay in contention all week, he got paired up with Rory McIlroy on Sunday at a major, which just had to be a dream come true. But then he steps up to 15, and he hits the ace. Yeah. You're playing with Rory on a Sunday you're two over par on your round, and you get a hole-in-one to get you back to even par for the championship. It was, It's not hyperbole to say it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen in sports. To be watching it live as it yeah. happened, it was so cool, and that guy's weekend was just incredible. But to cap it off with the hole-in-one playing with Rory... That was just one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Well, and the best part is he's forty six years old. It's like it's like the it's like it's the stuff movies are made of. Honestly, like he's a pro that's uh, working at a public golf course in California, makes one hundred fifty bucks a lesson. Uh, his uh, his his caddy he brought to the PJ with him is a full time caddy for Pebble Beach, uh, and the caddy himself said, "Hey, with all this notoriety, I'm going to I'm going to increase my rates as, as a caddy." <laughs> Uh, but he he obviously got the invitation to play in this week's um, Charles Schwab Open. I'm actually trying to pull that up right now to see where uh, he, he where he's playing. He's also got an he invite. Missed the cut. He did miss the cut. Okay, yeah. but he's also going to play in the RBC, uh, not the RBC Heritage, it'd be the RBC Canadian Open uh, in July as well. So he's getting his opportunity, and it's it's really cool to see him living his dream. Uh, um, highlight of my week was just I'm, I'm going back to kind of last week as well. Took the week off, went down to St. George with my, fa- with my wife and kids. It was just fun to hang out with them. Like at, Dad works a lot. We all know this, but it, it was just fun to hang out with them. I went over and saw, by the way, if you've not seen Gunlock uh, Falls, mm-hmm. it's kind of it doesn't happen a lot because of all the water issues we've had in the last decade or so here in Utah. But when that water is spilling over those falls, there's nothing like that. It was really cool to see. I'd never seen it before in my life. Huh. So down there, Gunlock Reservoir, it's out west of St. George. I never make it down that way. Like never. Oh, you need to go down there. You also you also commented <laughs> know, on yeah. Veil Pies <laughs> worth the trip alone. Awesome. <laughs> awesome stuff. And had a great time, had some good food, and obviously spent plenty of time in the pool with my kids because they love the water. So Well, I mean, they would be crazy if they didn't. I know. So but it was fun all the same. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, let's dive right in. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on with the NBA, some college football as well. Let's get to what's the big deal. Do you know who I am? No, I I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Really? People know me. I'm very happy for you. I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books, and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. (laughs) All right, uh, let's dive in. And obviously, the NBA Finals are half set. Uh, the Denver Nuggets are in. They swept the Los Angeles Lakers. On the other side, uh, Boston has given themselves some hope. Uh, they were down 3 0, have battled back to win two games. Uh, Michelle, we've never seen the reverse, uh, like the, the go down 3 0 and and bounce back. They have they've never pulled what the Boston Red Sox did to the New York Yankees back in 04, mm-hmm. as we've all as we all know. Going down 3 0 and then winning four straight to make it. The question will be, can the Boston Celtics make that leap? And that, we've been talking about it all week on, here on The Zone. I was I co-hosted Jake and Ben on Thursday uh, with Jake Scott, and we were going back and forth on it. And I was of the opinion, I'm like, okay, I think Boston gets game five, so they'll push it to 3-2, which is what they did. And then I think tonight, which is game six in Miami, Jimmy Butler is going to be like, yeah, this is over. <laughs> Where do you stand on it? I don't know. I feel like we kind of had a similar conversation about the Denver Nuggets yeah, that they've did. never made it past and and this has kind of been how it's been forever mm-hmm. and 
all of a sudden, you know, the, those old stats, they, they no longer mattered. They got through, they punched through. So I don't know. I I feel like maybe maybe we're willing this to destiny by <laughs> by falling back on past history. Some ways, yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the thing about this. It'll be interesting to see if um if it, if, if Boston can pull it off. Because mm-hmm. me and Jake, for example, on, on our conversation, we both agree. If you look at just on paper, the Boston Celtics roster looks like it's the better team overall. The issue has been. They're in the at least in the first three games, Boston was like asleep at the wheel, and they just refused. They just were like, "What are you guys doing?" Because huh. meanwhile, Jimmy Butler and the the host of undrafted uh, free agents that are make up the majority of the Miami Heat's rotation were just kicking their butt. And that's the thing I love about a guy like Jimmy Butler. There are so many stories of him at every stop in his career where he has taken quote unquote scrubs. And has just wiped the floor with people. There, there's a famous story. Have you ever heard the story about him and the Minnesota Timberwolves when he was with the, was in Minnesota? I haven't. Uh, he was on the outs with their front office. Okay. So he mm-hmm. came in for a practice, and he took their third string team. He said, put me with these dudes. The dudes that sit at the end of the bench never get in the games. Yeah. He went out there and beat that the first the starters, all the first stringers, beat them like a drum multiple times in a row. <laughs> Then, as he's uh, then he gets done, he's like, and he, and Scott Layden, who's a former executive with the Utah Jazz, right. ex- executive with the Minnesota Timberwolves, he's yelling at Scott, saying like, "Give me my money" or something. As he leaves the court, he didn't even stay for the rest of practice. He showed up, kicked all y'all's butt, and walked right out the door. That's incredible. But that's what Jimmy <laughs> Butler has been most of his career, and what he's doing right now is what I love about the Miami Heat, for example, is they just play like like their hairs on fire. They yeah. they don't stop. There's no, well, um, let's take the end of this quarter off. No, they just, it's go, go, go all the time. And I think that's something that Boston has struggled to stay up with. Now, Boston has won the last two games. So they've given themselves some hope of maybe pulling this off. But there's a part of me that's like, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna slip at some point here in one of these next two games, I think most likely tonight, and that's when Miami gets the knockout punch. I mean, we've heard, I, I mean, it's a, a sports cliche, Hard hard work beats talent any yeah. any day, and it sounds like that's kind of what the Miami Miami Heat have been doing, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And we've seen it we've seen it elsewhere. How how many times you know has like USC rolled into Utah, and <laughs> I I could I yeah. don't remember what year it was. Oh, they're just another football team, and it's like well. They're just another football team that beat you because they're sure. not resting on we're talented. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know they put they put some hard work into it, and again, kind of maybe sounds like that's a little bit of what's going on here. Boston's looking at themselves, thinking may, they maybe looked at their own yeah. roster and were like, "Well, pff, we're clearly the more talented team, so this shouldn't be hard." But when you when you go against you know a team that doesn't care about that. And they know they have to work extra hard in order to be there and prove themselves. You know, a lot of times those kinds of teams, they they end up running into a bit of a buzzsaw. Well, and that's kind of been the part about it is, uh, so uh, with regards to Boston, Jason Tatum is one of the easily 10 best players in the world, maybe top five. He's just, he's absolutely phenomenal. The problem has been... He has been a. I don't know if that was my my laptop or I think Michelle's. it was me. Uh, but regardless, uh, <laughs> the thing about this is, is he he has taken uh, moments off in this series. Jalen Brown, who I agree with, uh, me and Jake were talking about this. Jalen Brown's looking for a max contract extension, and he's eligible for it. But Boston doesn't want to give it to him, so he's got a little bit of a beef, I think, with the Boston front office that may be affecting his play on the court. But it kind of goes down the down the roster here for Boston is they've all kind of taken moments off in this series. Even their head coach Joe Mazzula. He's 30-some-odd years old. He admitted after game three, I didn't have my guys ready to play. It's like, Coach. Yeah, what are you doing? You're in the Eastern Conference Finals. You have a chance to punch your ticket to the NBA Finals and make yourself one of the best coaches in theory in the league. And you go out there and say, uh, we, we weren't ready for this one. And he may be trying to take the blame on himself in that circumstance. That's a bad place to have that uh, come out. You can say that yeah. regular season on any given night in the regular season, but when it comes, you're one of the final four teams left. Yeah, you're supposed to be one of the best of the best of the best. And the when you're one of the best of the best of the best, you're always prepared. The scrutiny like, gets You're always up. prepared. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least you're expected to be. <laughs> Good point. And that, so that's, that's where I, I sit right now is I, what I'm enjoying about the Miami Heat is, to your point, 
hard work when it, it's got some talent around it. Because Jimmy Jimmy Butler is easily a top ten player in the world right now, easily. Like he's phenomenal. On the opposite side, Denver's got two of the guys who I think are top fifteen at the worst, and Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. So the the question will be. Is Boston finally going to crack, or were those first three games the wake up call for them to be like, hold up? Yeah, we gotta we gotta get our horses in gear. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see where it ultimately pans out. But I've just I've got a feeling that the Boston we've seen the last two games, I'm not sure they can keep it up for four straight to to obviously come back and win it. It'd be unprecedented. Nobody's done it in NBA history. They've been I think it's 149 times if I recall in NBA history the team's gone down 3-0. Not a one of them has ever come back. The question will be, can uh, what Miami does, kind of, where they just bring it, everybody on that roster brings it, will that be too much for Boston tonight in Miami? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, this this kind of brings up a question for me. Okay. It is Boston dealing with a bit of a culture problem? Well, and that's been the big question as well, is Joe Mazzula was kind of thrown into that job. The Ime Udoka situation, as you recall, he got uh, he got suspended and then ultimately let go by Boston. And uh, they, it forced them to throw Joe Mazzula right into that head coaching chair. Like They were like, oh, we got we to react here and get mm-hmm. somebody in the, in the place. The funny thing about this is if, you were to, if this had happened, let's say the news had broken last summer, there's a really uh, interesting possibility – that a guy like Will Hardy, who's now the Utah Jazz head coach and right. has proven himself to be a very bright young coach, he could be sitting in that chair that Joe Mazzula occupies right now. Right. Because he was one of the top assistants on Ime Udoka's staff last year when they made that run to the NBA Finals. So that's the question is, you're right, is there a culture problem within Boston? I think that there is I – mean, culture is an interesting dynamic because mm-hmm. there is culture – like look at Miami. We Go back to the Miami example. Right. Pat Riley – is one of the godfathers of the NBA. <laughs> he built the Showtime Lakers into what they are. He made the Miami Heat New York Knicks series in the 1990s must watch television. If you remember those brawls that they called basketball games. Yeah, you had me look a couple of them. They up. were absolutely <laughs> legendary. Uh, but he's been in Miami for two plus decades now since he left New York. And he's he has a guy in Eric Spolstra who works for him who they have established a culture. If you look at their roster, Michelle, if you look at the Miami roster, there are, I want to say there's four of the top eight guys, in my opinion, on their roster, are guys who were undrafted. Mm-hmm. They have, they were like essentially prove-it guys who came in to Miami, proved that they were capable of being players, and have made good on their bet. The other thing about that is each one of those guys, I guarantee he's got a chip on their shoulder, knowing that there were 60 other guys in the NBA draft whenever they came out of the draft, that were, they're like, they thought these sixty guys are better than me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go show all y'all you were you were dead wrong about that. I think it's kind of the ethos of what Miami's got going on. Whereas Boston, under guys like Danny Ainge, had built a very strong culture. It felt like Danny had been very good about bringing pieces in and fitting them into what Boston was doing. The question is, has it already fallen apart since yeah. his departure? That and we'll, we'll see. I think there is money politics at play, like I said, with Jalen yeah. Brown. He wants that max contract. Boston's over there like, okay, you may be an all-NBA player, but we're not willing to pay you 200 and whatever million dollars over well, five years. And here's the thing about that. Like, you said that he's kind of not played up to expectations. At times. At times. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like, yeah. okay, if you think you deserve that money, you better be bringing your A game every single night sure. because you're not going to convince those people that you deserve that money if if you're taking – moments or mm-hmm. nights off like yeah. it's just not gonna happen <laughs> well and you make a very good point because he, he there there's some thought out there and we've discussed this and i've heard on multiple other shows is that he is he's tried to prove it in a way like it, this sounds very weird but he's tried to prove it mm-hmm. and he doesn't he's not getting the feedback that makes him think he's gonna get it so he may be at the point where he's kind of throwing his hands up and said okay whatever does that make sense? Yeah. Where he's kind of tired. He's kind of over it in a way. And he's like, right. yeah, what? But to your point, the other issue is he's if he were to leave Boston, he gets he can still get a max deal. But it's like a $50 million, five zero, like $50 million difference in yeah. terms of the money he could get from Boston on a super max versus what he could get for just a regular max deal. And we all know that these guys are all about, well, not, not all of them, but most of them in the NBA, they're all about the prestige, the the limelight, yeah. 
And there's some thought that he's thinking over there, well, if I was given the same uh, usage rate that a guy like Jason Tatum, who's far and away Boston's best player, if I was given the same amount of shots, touches, et cetera, that Jason gets over here, why wouldn't I be able to prove that? And it's like, okay, you may think that, but to your point, Michelle, you make a very good point. Why are you not playing like the Miami Heat over here and playing all out every single night? Exactly. Well, and okay, fine. Like you're you're tired of that situation. Sure. I, I get that. But you have to understand, okay, other teams are also watching what you're doing. And yeah. so if you if you have it in your head that you think you're going to go someplace else mm-hmm. and get this, like look, leaders lead. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how many touches you're getting. It like it doesn't matter. You if you're really into this, if your heart's really into this, you're bringing your A game every week. Yeah, well, and you're 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 gonna you're going to show it. Yeah, you're gonna show up, and that, the, this lackadaisical attitude because you're not getting what you want, no, isn't going to result in you getting what you want. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's a very very good point. Is that right now because. Denver's sitting over there, like just waiting. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's the thing about this. There's a whole another conversation that's going to come up. Let's say Boston does win tonight. They push it to a game seven, which is Monday night, if I'm not mistaken. There's going to be the whole debate because if you you're, you're old enough to remember the '98 uh, Jazz Finals, mm-hmm. the Jazz had ten days off. Meanwhile, the 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 Chicago Bulls were in an absolute dogfight in the Eastern Conference Finals that went seven games. There was the whole debate, okay, the Jazz are going to have 10 days off. Are they going to get rusty? Well, people will tell you that the Jazz looked rusty early on in that 98 finals. Yeah. I would agree with them on that. That's going to be the debate now with Denver having this layoff, how much rust is going to accumulate for them, whereas whoever emerges from the East over here, might they, the fact that they've been playing and have that edge to them, might they have an advantage that I think if it were equal, Denver very much has the advantage, but they may have just that that sharpness going into the finals that could help them surprise in games one and two potentially. I, I mean, I certainly think that's a thing. Like, I, like you do need rest, mm-hmm. but I think there is such a thing as too much time. There's a routine to, that you to, get into, yeah. There, there, there's the routine. There's just the – if things are clicking – and then all of a sudden, you're not pra- like practicing or preparing to keep the clicking up. <laughs> it's going to go away. Sure. Um, or I think it's very easy to kind of lose that. I think even thinking back to, uh, you know, looking at Utah softball last night, yeah. I think that might have been a little, they just weren't as sharp as they normally have been. Yeah. Um, well, so, I, I would agree with you on that. So, I, it's, you know, I mean, we, I, we see this happen all the time in sports. The the 98 Jazz, is, as you mentioned, another example of. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a very, very real thing that, you know, you maybe lose your edge if, if you're sitting around for too long. Well, and that, okay, and I'll add this one thing. We're going to hit a break here. We're going to come back with Brian Howell here in just a minute. Just to the Utah point, to me last night watching Utah – I think the nerves may have gotten to them a little yeah. bit because this it was a it's a big deal for for Utah. They've it's never hosted moment. a super regional. They got the opportunity because UCLA stunningly got knocked out of their own yeah. regional, the number two team in the country. That's the other thing about this is how much are the nerves for a program like a, a program a franchise like Denver, for example. They've never made the NBA Finals. They yeah. they've made franchise history by sweeping LA and then making the finals. They've never been on this platform before how many nerves are going to be in play whenever the play, whenever the final start we already know it's gonna be june one they, they that was the funny thing about this when they were talking about the potential for sweeps in both conference finals mm-hmm. we'll just take nine days off they were not they were the finals are set june one we start we start and it was like well, that'd be weird but it's part of the deal so <laughs> it, i don't know i'm interested to see how miami and boston respond tonight and then obviously you know denver sitting over there like all right well we know we're not playing until next Thursday, so let's just let's hey, just rest we'll just up. Hang out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, we will come back on the other side. Brian Howell from the Boulder Daily Camera uh, made some headlines yesterday. Uh, had a one-on-one conversation with Colorado AD Rick George. I uh, had a very interesting comment in it that has uh, people um, speculating, thinking, wishing, pleading, hoping. <laughs> Any other adjective I can use there to about know. Colorado potentially jumping to the Big 12? And it goes in line with a report earlier this week from Barry Trammell from the Oklahoman, who we had on with DJ and PK. And Barry came on, I thought, made a very good point about he thought three months, he said three months ago, I would have told you the Pac-12 sticking together. He said, today, I don't think so. And Barry, 
Barry's not been a guy who's been writing story after story after story right. in on this. So it's been a very interesting week on the conference realignment. <sighs> Michelle's favorite topic. Uh, gonna, it is my favorite topic. We're going to dive into it more. <laughs> we'll also get some thoughts on Coach Prime, by the way, uh, how things are going up there with his complete roster overhaul in Boulder. That's with Brian Howell next, right here on the Saturday Show on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought... There are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a latest looking to move soon so what's the latest on the uh, on all that well look i mean uh, you gotta believe about a third of what you see out there and um you know we're we're members of the pac-12 we're proud members of the pac-12 and um you know we've we've got to see uh, where our media rights deal lands and and uh, where our conference goes and you know in a in a perfect world we'd love to be in the pac-12 and uh, but we also have to do what's right for Colorado at the end of the day. And, um, you know, we'll evaluate things as we move forward. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the KSL Sports Zone. You just heard two voices there, one being Brian Howell. The other is Colorado Athletic Director Rick George. Brian Howell joins us now. He's the Colorado Buffalo's beat writer for the Boulder Daily Camera as well as BuffZone.com. Brian, thank you for carving out some time for us here on a Saturday. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Uh, so I'm going to start here. You just heard uh, the clip. Obviously, you were part of that interview with Rick George. Uh, it made headlines yesterday. Obviously, a, a number of college football writers uh, took that quote and were putting it all over social media. Uh, give us your overall sense of what uh, uh, Rick George meant when he uh, talked about the fact that he said, we want to be a part of the Pac-12, but we're going to obviously uh, keep our options open in a way. Yeah, you know, in a lot of ways, it's the same message uh, as always mm-hmm. is that, you know, they do want to be in the Pac-12, um, like he said, in that perfect world. Um, but the reality is it's not a perfect world. And uh, it's, uh, you know, the longer this drags out, the less perfect it is. And I think the one difference in that quote to me was that he's generally uh, been, you know, more, I guess, he's talking more about kind of the solidarity of the, of the 10 remaining schools. Um, and this, he didn't you know, really say that. That doesn't mean it's not there, but this sort of, to me, um, opened that door a little bit more than I've heard him in the past to, hey, we might be looking somewhere else. So, Brian, on my end, I've covered kind of the University of Utah's side of things. I'm just kind of curious to get what you're feeling throughout this whole process has been from Colorado's and, um, you know, since my scope is so small, I'm going to assume your scope is kind of more small, is smaller and more narrowed in as well. Yeah, you know, mine is definitely, you know, on Colorado and, um, you know, a, a lot of the reporting on all this stuff, uh, I, I leave the sort of the national guys that have all those uh, contacts and everything like that. But from the Colorado side of things, it's um, I do think that from the start, um, the day that USC, UCLA left, um, I do think that that their preference has always been the Pac-12 and that there's been a lot of confidence in the Pac-12 to get things done. But I think that confidence, and I don't think this is exclusive to CU, I think the confidence in the Pac-12 has lessened um, over the last few months. And, um, you know, I think that there's been several times that we thought and that the schools thought a deal would be getting done soon and it hasn't gotten done yet. And um, So I think the more this drags on, like I said, I think, confidence goes down and that schools have got to look um, out for themselves and figure out what they're going to do. To your point, Brian, the, the reason you brought that question up was the report from Barry Trammell from the Oklahoman, longtime sports columnist out there. He's been a regular on the show that I produced, DJ and PK. We've had you on there fairly regularly as well. And he came on and he said that three months ago, I would have told you that the, the Pac-12 sticking together. So they're going to figure a way out. But then he, when he came on with us earlier this week to talk about his comment about Colorado being willing to jump to the Big 12, quote unquote, soon, uh, he said that. Three months ago, I thought the Pac-12 was sticking together. He says, today my tune has changed. And this comes, I think, from Tuesday or Wednesday when we had him on. He said, 
I do think that there are Pac-12 schools looking to make a move to the Big 12. Uh, when it comes to all this, you talked about the fact that confidence seems to have been lessened or eroded away for the Pac-12. What do you think that George Klyovkov and the people inside the Pac-12 office could do to, I guess, reinstitute that trust in the conference? Is there anything they can do at this point? Yeah, they can get a deal done. (laughs) Honestly, I think that's what it comes down to. I mean, you you need to get that deal done and have something in front of your schools to where they can see what their value is. And um, I I think that's been the biggest issue is that uh, there's been talk for months that Mm -hmm. there's going to be something coming up soon something coming up soon and that doesn't happen. And, uh, you know, I, I agree with that, that sentiment that three months ago, I would have thought, yeah, this is going to happen. I mean, CU is not going anywhere and neither is anybody else, but, um, as time goes on, it's like, yeah, I think there might actually be something. And I think that CU, Arizona, Utah, whatever schools you can bring up. I mean, they've, they've got to look at some other options just in case this is not going to turn out well for the PAC 12. Colorado has also, I think, just recently I saw a tweet or two, probably from your report, that Colorado's looking into the Big Ten as well. Uh, You know, how realistic do you feel like that is? I I know that the Big Ten has kind of come out and said they're done for the time being, but do you think there's a future there for Colorado, you know, five to seven years down the road? I think there could be. Um, I don't think it's anything immediate, but I think that every school wants to position themselves to be in a spot where they're more attractive to the big two at some point in the future. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of reasons why, you know, CU hired Deion Sanders, but one of them could be that they need to be more nationally relevant to where they're, they're attractive. And, you know, whether Deion's here four or five years from now, I don't know, but um, you know, if CU is more relevant and a better football program in four years, then they're more attracted to a big 10 or SEC. Um, you know, I think anything's on the table at this point. I mean, I don't know if what the ACC is going to do, you know, if Colorado could be in play there. But, you know, I think that uh, there's a lot of things that are on the table. But for now, CU has got to position itself to be attractive in the next round of uh, expansion and, and conference realignment. I probably should ask you this question. Brian Howell from the Boulder Daily Camera joining us, also uh, covering the Colorado Buffaloes for Buff Zone out there in Boulder. I, wanted, I probably should ask you this question after my first question, but – were the comments from Rick George, what you got from him, were they surprising to you? No, not really. Okay. Um, like I said, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's the same message in the past as far as, you know, hey, we like the Pac-12, we want to be here. Um, it was probably more so that uh, he did leave that door open a little bit more okay. to, yeah, we are looking around. But it didn't really surprise me just because following the national landscape, you know, Everybody's got to open that door a little bit more so than they did probably three months ago. There's also been some rumor of discontent, I guess, with Colorado's like big boosters. How much of what you think uh, was said the other day has to do with that and maybe trying to appease, you know, some of the people that are donating big money to Colorado? I don't think it had anything to do with that, but I, I do think that, you know, CU knows that it has to be more relevant uh, to be more attractive to its donors as well. Um, and they've got to win football games, and they've uh, they've got to be in a position to where their future looks strong for their donors. And so I'm not sure the comments really uh, had that in mind, but I do think that, I mean, that's CU's goal. They've got to be more attractive uh, long-term so that it's boost- so their boosters can get more money and you know, help uh, fund this program that, you know, right now is obviously you've got a lot of financial things coming up. Yeah, you talk about the finances, uh, Brian, and obviously the hire of Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, was a was a headline making thing. And by the way, it continues to be a headline making thing. It feels like every day, just with how many players he jettisoned and is bringing into Colorado. But you talk about the financial component of all of this coming in, NIL, uh, transfer portal, collectives. Does Colorado, do you feel like they have the booster group in place that can help, I guess, step up to the plate financially there? In some ways, yes. I think that uh, they would like that to be more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's where they've got to win football games. I mean, that, yeah. the one thing is that there's there's a lot of excitement with Deion coming in here. But at the same time, I think that these fans have heard so many times in the last 15 years 
hey, we are we're we're here. This is the next guy. This is this is the coach that's going to turn us around. Uh, they've heard that so many times. I think there's probably um, a measure of some of these boosters and fans are like, okay, let's let's see it actually because you still haven't won football games. I, you know, talk about the impact of bringing on a guy like Deion Sanders to kind of be the the face of the program and breathe new life into it. You know, do do you think he's done what Colorado has needed him to do so far? And what do you think the expectations are heading into this season for him? Yeah, I think he's actually done more than Colorado anticipated uh, with the financial impact and and the uh, the attention impact. You know, I just wrote a story yesterday that. They made they turned a profit of over two hundred thousand uh, dollars on the spring game, and they've never made a dime off of that thing because nobody ever comes to it. And so, uh, and that profit's just off of ticket sales and concessions. And then, on top of that, they also had the largest quote game day uh, merchandise sales in their history um, from the spring game. So uh, that's just a small part of it. They sold out their season tickets for the first time in twenty seven years. They did so in April. The last time they did it was in August. Uh, they had a record day on Wednesday. They started uh, single-game ticket sales. They had a record day for how many tickets they sold that day. So uh, the attention is through the roof. I think he's done more so than they ever anticipated he would do. Uh, but now it's about putting this team together, trying to mesh 70-some new players and uh, go win football games. You talk about the fact he's trying to yeah completely overhaul this roster. You can you you you're covering this day in and day out, so you can correct me if I'm wrong here. The way I read it, there was only one player held over from the previous uh, last year's roster, or was there? It was a complete turnover. No, it was. There's actually technically thirteen. Okay, so it's, okay, yeah. got it. Okay, yeah, but it's it's not very many starters. It's only got a couple it. different starters. Um, but yeah, there are thirteen scholarship guys from last year, which is not very many. Um, there's actually, I think, more, I believe it's more uh, men's basketball players are coming back than football players, which, which is insane. So um, it's almost a complete overhaul. I mean, of, of the 85 scholarships, there could be close to 75 scholarship guys that are brand new to the team. When you take a look at that roster, uh, obviously, again, it's kind of being pieced together and understandably so. Uh, You kind of have to sometimes tear something apart in order to rebuild it again. What do you think are the strengths of this Colorado team, and what do you think are the weaknesses that Dion's going to have to continue addressing in order to get them better? Well, I think one of the strengths of this roster is that they've got a ton of guys that have been at places where they either didn't play a whole lot at a Power 5 school like Alabama, Washington, whatever, or they were at an FCS school, and they they have a bunch of guys who need to prove themselves. And I think that that's kind of the, one of the positive strengths is that they, they're going to have competition at every spot where guys you know want to prove themselves and they have this second chance. And I've kind of made this. Uh, kind of statement before, but like you know, we all know the show Last Chance You on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Well, this is sort of <laughs> turning into Second Chance You uh, for a lot of these players uh, because you've got guys that you know have been at Alabama for three years and didn't play. You know, guys have been at Washington that you know didn't play a whole lot, things like that. So it is sort of a Second Chance You, and I, I do think the other strength is they've got a lot of team speed uh, at the skill positions and also in their front seven and, and their secondary. So they've got a ton of speed. Weaknesses are you don't have a lot of Power 5 experience. And, you know, you look at the guys they're bringing in, and like I said, there's a lot of Power 5 backups. There's a lot of FCS guys. There's some JUCO guys. So you don't have a ton of Power 5 experience. And then the other weakness, obviously, is you you don't have team chemistry right now because literally I think it's like 50 of the scholarship guys will go through their first official practice when they open August camp. So, uh you know, you don't have team chemistry right now, so you've got to build that quickly. <laughs> That's crazy to consider. Brian Howell from the Boulder Daily Camera joining us here on the Saturday show on the KSL Sports Zone. And uh, Brian, you talk about that, just that mass roster overhaul. Uh, Michelle covers Utah heavily for KSLSports.com on, on the opposite, and I cover BYU, and BYU's making the jump to the Big 12. And 
uh, with people I've talked with BYU, they talk about expectations as BYU makes the leap to the Power 5 levels. And I think most people think if BYU can make a bowl game this year in their first year as a Power 5 program, it's probably going to be, uh, I would consider, a successful year overall. I, I say that to say this. What are the realistic expectations for year one of the Coach Prime era for the, for, for the Buffaloes in terms of just a record? Yeah, I think realistic expectation is just get to a bowl game. Okay. Uh, when you're 1-11 and 11 from last year, and not even arguably, they were the worst Power 5 team in the country. Uh, you look at point differential, and it was dramatic between what theirs was compared to like the next lowest. Uh, so if you can do that with such a massive roster overhaul and, and get to a bowl game, I think that's an unbelievable first year. Now, that's not going to match the hype, mm-hmm. and people are going to expect <laughs> a lot more than that, but people that are realistic, you know, a bowl game is probably about their ceiling. Yeah, and that's uh, I, 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 that's kind of where I kind of pegged it because you're, you talk about the fact 50-plus guys, they're going to have to mesh over, is it 29 practices in, in training camp in August? Is that what they are allotted by the NCAA? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I think so, it's 29. So, yeah, there's just there's a lot of work to be done. Do, do you feel like this may be a storyline that – it may take those 29 practices to get guys on the same page, but they may not necessarily, I guess, coalesce and kind of gel maybe until midseason. Yeah, I think it's a team that probably could be better um, towards the end of the year than the, than the early part of the season. But, um, you know, we'll see. I mean, they're not going to be patient. I know that. I mean, he's, <laughs> I asked him once about chemistry, and he said he's not that worried about it. And actually kind of a funny story. A friend of mine was at a, an event uh, this week that Dion was speaking at, like a uh, his company had something there, and he asked Dion this question about, uh, you know, team chemistry, and, and he, he said that Dion's response was, "Hey, some of you guys in here probably met your wife and proposed within the first couple of months that you that you, that you met her. So how could you make a, a commitment like that, a lifelong commitment, and you're worried about me gelling a football team? <laughs> you know, so he was kind of making this, that, you know, hey, I can I can put a football team together in a few months if you can uh, figure out who your wife is in a couple of weeks." So it was kind of a, it was kind of a funny comment. He, that that that's beyond confidence. So and and you know I think that they like I said before I think they're they're really going to rely on and I've talked to some uh, some of the current players that are coming in that I think that this hunger is going to bond these guys. I think that okay. they can come together quickly. How quickly I don't know because uh, we've never seen something like this before. All right, Brian. Where can people find all your work? What's the easiest way for them to follow you? Yeah, go to buffzone.com or uh, follow me on Twitter at BrianHowell33. Well, Brian, appreciate carving out some time for us here on a Saturday and keep up the great work. And, of course, we'll be checking back with you, checking back in with you as the season draws a little bit closer, all right? Sounds good. Thanks, guys. There you go. Brian Howell, Boulder Daily Camera. That's that's actually okay. When he said that, that whole analogy about the meeting your wife thing, I'm just like, well, I think people in Utah can relate yeah, to that. Yeah, I, um, I'm so glad you said it because I had the same thought. Hey, I was like, huh, kay. that sounds familiar. I have, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say his name. Literally one of my best friends from high school, Michelle, three weeks. They've been married for 13 years now. It's crazy, but I mean, sometimes it works. That might be even longer, that might be even longer than 13 years. But yeah, but crazy, crazy stuff. And to Brian's point, he said, yeah, a lot of it sounds like the same stuff, but he said, Rick George has been very much like we want to be in the pack. Like he's talking mm-hmm. about like the whole like we're we're a unit here. Speaking of the Pac-12, but he, that door is cracked open for Colorado, obviously. For sure, uh, and I think one of the things that maybe hasn't been made terribly, terribly clear throughout this entire process, really for anyone, mm-hmm. is people are always talking to people. Oh, yeah. like like even <laughs> when this circus stuff isn't going on like yeah. fans need to understand these conversations are constantly being had mm-hmm. everywhere like and if your school your president your ad are not having these conversations you should be very worried and concerned like people are always filling each other out people are always growing and building relationships just in case for this very reason yeah um so it that this isn't like a really weird, shocking revelation, uh, per se. But like, I, it it was worded a little differently than mm-hmm. it has been in the past. And, that, and that's that's why I think most people latched onto it. That, that's the thing because I think you made a very good point. Like your focus is really kind of narrowed it on Utah. Brian's is on Colorado. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you've got people like a Brett McMurphy, a Dennis Dodd, John Canzano. 
John Will, on down the list, who theirs are more conference and nationally, uh, their their scope is mm-hmm. more broad, and they're taking that and obviously going to guesstimate, speculate, whatever they're going to do with it. So interesting times. Very interesting times. I, I will say I think I think we're about due for the Pac-12 to say something again. It's it's it been March. It's been March since March since there was kind of a big. Is that the one that had the consummating in the in the statement that I just made me completely uncomfortable? Uh, <laughs> I bel- that might that could have even been the end of February. Okay. But like even just having like people step up and mm-hmm. speak, like yeah. I, it's just. It's been a while since there's been some transparency. They had that I, kind of that three-week spurt where yeah. presidents and ADs were all speaking out almost at the same time. Exactly. Like, it's kind of I, quiet. It's been a little bit quiet. I, you know, I think, I think for the health of the conference, some people need to step up and and say something. They do, and we'll see. Uh, we'll we'll dig into this a little bit more. I do want to discuss this a little bit further. We we'll get that at eleven o'clock. Actually, we'll dig in. I got a couple of other questions I want to pepper you with from your perspective on it. We'll get to uh, coming up next. We get to technical fouls. More in a moment. This is the Saturday Show on ninety-seven point five FM, the KSL Sports Zone. If you're coming from the street with dirty shoes on your feet, that's a technical foul. If you switch the radio to some modern music show, that's a technical foul. If you touch the thermostat, you'll get hit with a bat. Cause that's a technical foul. You will feel my wrath. That's a technical foul. Personal file, 69, office. He was giving them the business. A technical foul. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the KSL Sports Zone. Michelle Bodkin, Jake Hatch, and it is time now, as you heard, for technical fouls. And Michelle, let's start off with yours because I think this is a good one. Uh, and I think this goes to the the former player turned coach. And sometimes it's hard to turn it off. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so New York Yankees manager Aaron Boone has been suspended one game and fined an indis- undisclosed amount. For his recent conduct towards major league umpires, including the actions following his ejection from Thursday night's game against the Baltimore Orioles at Yankee Stadium. Um, This is the fourth time this season that Boone has been ejected from a Mm -hmm. game. Um, And this latest one uh, stems from an argument over balls and strikes Thursday. Boone appeared to accidentally hit home place umpire Edwin Moss. Moss. Home plate. They misspelled that. It's not oh, home yeah. place. Home. It's home plate. Okay. I was, I, the, yeah, that Come didn't on, make CBS sense. Sports. Heavens. Yeah. Um, Edwin Moscaso uh, in the face with spittle. Uh, look, here's the thing. I am all about being fiery and passionate uh-huh. and, you know, fighting for your team, whatever. But, like, there's a smart way to do it, and then there's a really dumb way to do it. And you're doing it the dumb way if you you're constantly being ejected from games, which he has like a history of being ejected 30 times, like overall in his career. Yeah, he took over as manager in 2018. He's been ejected 30 times in 760 games as their manager. It's a little excessive, bud. Okay, here's let me offer a rebuttal, though. This is the kind of the new era of manager. Think back in the day. Lou Pinella was up in everybody's grill just going after guys. You had... You had uh, managers kicking dirt on umpires back in the day. There, who's the famous? Uh, there's a minor league umpire. Remember that one where he threw the rosin bag like it was a grenade. He like had this big old. You need to look that one up. You, oh man, he yeah, he, he a, like lost his mind. Watcher. He like pulled a base out of the path and was walking with it, and then like kind of doing this army crawl up to the mound and grabbed the rosin bag and threw it like as a grenade towards the. What? <laughs> Here's the thing. Okay. Umpires don't want to be spit on. Nobody wants to be spit on. No. Gross. It, it, it's gross. But <laughs> this one, I, I don't know. I guess this is kind of the new era of this. But I'm a guy who, growing up, it was like these managers, Tommy Lasorda, like the, they got away with a lot more than this, it felt like, back in the day. Now, MLB's tried to, call, to tone it down and everything. But there is something about seeing a manager lose his ever-loving mind on an umpire that th- these baseball purists absolutely love. So I don't know. It, you're uh, right. His history suggests, okay, you calm it down a little bit. Aaron is obviously he's a former player, and I think that there's just that, that competitive that, fire yeah. in him still. And he's obviously been he's been on the hot seat, by the way, in New York multiple times during his run there as well. So that, that 
I don't know. Very interesting stuff there. We'll see what happens, if, if anything comes along. Uh, I also got a technical foul once again. Hey, uh, New England Patriots, stop cheating. <laughs> uh, they lost two of their OTA workouts, off-season team activities, a.k.a. practice. I don't know why we have to call it organized team activities. It's the dumbest thing. It's practice. It's off-season right. practice. Uh, they are losing two days of organized team activities due to a violation of off-season rules. Uh, they had been scheduled for one this week on Thursday. It was canceled. Uh, that was actually be the first. It was going to be able to be attended by reporters. Uh, funny enough, they got canceled. And they also said that they will cancel one this week. They were taken away as part of the violation, according to sources. And uh, this is the thing about this is the there's a situation ongoing. The way I read this later on is that they had exceeded the amount of allowable hours for the players to be in the team facility. It's something that Mike McCarthy, the past two at least years with the Dallas Cowboys, had exceeded those and had been fined multiple times. Uh-huh. And McCarthy actually this year was smart enough to cut back on it to avoid that fine. Because it was like it was like hundred thousand dollars last time. Dang. Bill Belichick got fifty grand uh, lighter in the pocketbook as a result of this one, but it just it goes more to the Patriots and their history of bending the rules, as it were, deflating balls. Uh, you know, there's there's a whole <laughs> spy gate and you know filming team practices so you can get a get a look at what they're doing. Like, okay, what are you doing? It's it, crazy stuff. All right, um, and then one other thing. Uh, let's see, where was this at? Real quick. Oh, um, world of tennis real quick. Okay. French tennis player Hugo Gaston was fined 144,000 euros, about $155,000 by the ATP tour, more than he's collected in prize money so far this year in 2023 for pulling a ball out of his pocket and throwing it on the court during a point in an attempt to get a do-over. <laughs> it's his fourth oh. unsportsmanlike conduct violation this season. Okay, and then he did uh, appeal it. He got it halved to about $77,500 in terms of the overall fine. But this dude has like, made like no money this year. He's made a little more than $120,000 in prize money this year. So he's losing more than two-thirds of that, or I guess not, by two-thirds of that in this fine alone. Way to go, dude. Bruh, what are you doing? I'm just going to, you know, toss this ball. And hope that no one notices. There's cameras. This is the ATV. This yeah. is pro tennis. They're 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 airing this stuff all over the world. It's not like the 1970s where like nobody's likely to yeah. see this. Like, yeah, come on. <laughs> not very smart. All right, uh, some decent ones this week, but nonetheless, just I, my favorite part about this is just get to highlight some of the stupid things that happen in sports on a weekly basis. It's always fun. All right. We will come back on the other side. I want to launch back in and talk a little further with Michelle. I want to talk with you about uh, what's going on in the conference realignment game and where things might stand. We'll get to all that that's coming up next right here on the Saturday show. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 